Women's Revival Wednesday night. Speaker one, Sister Kayla Hollis. Topic, good trouble. Thank you for that introduction, Pastor. Give an honor to God, the Father, Bishop Jacqueline McCullough, Pastor, elders, deacons, church family, and friends. Thank you all for this opportunity. Let's get right to it. My topic for tonight is good trouble. What is trouble? Well, that depends on the tense in which you are using the word. Trouble as a verb would be defined according to dictionary.com as one, to put oneself to inconvenience, extra effort, or the like. For example, may I trouble you for a glass of water? Two, to be distressed or agitated mentally or worried. For example, I was deeply troubled by the unfortunate news. Troubled as a noun is described by Oxford vocabulary as difficulty or problems. Example, I'm having trouble solving this equation or a public unrest or disorder. Example, wherever they go, trouble follows. I wanna focus on the last definition. Some similar words for that kind of trouble are disturbance, disorder, unrest, bother, fighting, scuffling, or conflict. What I find interesting about this definition is its need to involve another person or people. Think about it. It's a Saturday morning, you're home alone, the downstairs neighbors have gone out and you're about to start cleaning. You put on that playlist as loud as you want and sing to the top of your lungs, performing the greatest concert ever while getting things done. And it will be perfectly fine, no trouble at all. Now, imagine you're not home alone and the neighbors are home as well. You put on your music, turn it up, and begin to enjoy yourself, only to be yelled at. Hey, turn it down, I'm trying to watch TV. Or turn that down, the neighbors are gonna complain and I don't wanna deal with it. All of a sudden, you're disturbance. And if you try to fight it, you get labeled as being a troublemaker simply because you refuse to comply with those around you. There are many throughout history who have been labeled troublemakers, but for doing a lot more than playing some loud music. People like Rosa Parks, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Nelson Mandela recall the things that they're known for aren't bad things in and of themselves, but they did choose not to comply with the unjust ways of their society at the time, which caused them a lot of trouble, but it was good trouble. Yes, they were labeled troublemakers, among other names a lot worse, but their actions made a difference and had a major impact in the world. Now, I wouldn't dare utter the words good trouble without giving mention to Mr. John Lewis and his memorable quote, which I'm paraphrasing. Do not get lost in a sea of despair. Be hopeful, be optimistic. Never be afraid to make some noise and get in good trouble, necessary trouble. Of course now, the most important troublemaker to ever walk this earth is our very own Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. His entire ministry was filled with him causing trouble in the eyes of the Pharisees, but good trouble for those who would choose to follow him and believe in him. Let's look into one example of Jesus causing good trouble as we deal with the following three points. Point number one, their sight. Point number two, the silence. And point number three, 
their schemes. Point number one, their sight. Point number two, their silence. Point number three, their schemes. Point number one, their sight. Let's take note of how this chapter begins. Verse one says, and he entered again into the synagogue and there was a man there which had a withered hand. The verse begins with the word and, which lets us know that we have chimed in in the midst of something. Something has already begun taking place beforehand that we must investigate in order to fully understand the context. Let's go back to chapter two to see what's been going on. Mark, two, cha Mark chapter two, verses 23 to 26. Now it happened that he went through the fields, the grain fields on the Sabbath, and as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? But he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? He and those with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the priest and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him. Of course, Jesus already knew that the Pharisees knew all about David and his encounters. But hey, perhaps they needed a little reminder. So yes, technically David was breaking the law, but he and his people needed to eat and they were fed. This is exactly what was taking place during this encounter. Verses 27 and 28. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. He reminds them that the Sabbath was given for men to rest and to care for their bodies, which, of course, includes eating. Now we get back into our main text, knowing that Jesus has already begun stirring up trouble in the eyes of the Pharisees, and he continues to do so in this chapter. Verse 2, so they watched him closely whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so they might accuse him. I find it extremely interesting that at this moment, unlike the previous encounter, the Pharisees didn't ask about what Jesus was doing or why. They already knew. They knew him well enough to know that if there was someone around that needed healing, he would heal them. I can imagine their conversation with each other now. Oh, look, check this guy Jesus coming in. But you see that guy with the messed up hand over there? He's going to want to go heal him. I bet you. You know the man can't resist doing a miracle. Want to bet he'll do it today, even on the Sabbath? Yeah. We have him now. Yes, they knew him well enough to plot against him. But I want to pause her to acknowledge something that's more sobering about this moment that I hope we don't miss. The Pharisees knew the heart of Jesus. They knew him as a healer. So I ask, do we know the heart of Jesus? Do we know him as a healer? Don't worry. As I'm asking these questions to you, I'm asking myself as well. Sometimes it can be easy to forget, especially when you're right in the thick of it and it seems like there's absolutely nothing you can do. We've all been there. Someone may be in this place right now. I myself, as I was writing this, was very much in this place where the answer seemed far away. But may I be so bold as to make this statement? Have the faith of a Pharisee. Let that sink in a little bit.
You heard me correctly. Because even though their whole plan was to destroy Jesus, they never once doubted him. They knew that healing would take place. In the midst of their hatred of him, they had faith in him and his works. Of course, that isn't the kind of perspective that they would ever bring themselves to acknowledge. They wouldn't even dare speak on such a thing. Which brings me to my next point. Point number two, their silence. Verse three says, and he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. In the King James version of the text, the instruction that Jesus gave the man is to stand forth. If we look into these instructions more closely, we learn that Jesus is doing more than calling the man out to stand in front of him. Stand, coming from the word egairo, to arouse, cause to rise, to arouse from sleep, to wake, to arouse from the sleep of death, to recall the dead to life. And fourth, from the word ice, which means into, unto, to, towards, for, or among. And according to the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, the adverb forth signifies movement, forward, out of, or beyond a certain boundary. Now we see that Jesus was instructing the man to not only step out of his physical position in the synagogue, but to step out from his internal condition. Jesus instructs the man to awake from out of his dead situation and step forward out of the situation or beyond the boundary of where he has been all his life. With this knowledge, we see that there is more that Jesus is working on. Jesus wants the man to experience a new life. There is transformation taking place within the man just by him taking a stand. Notice that Jesus hasn't even addressed the man's hand yet, and already his life is changing. Verse 4, then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? to save life or to kill, but they kept silent. He addressed the Pharisees right away because he knew that they would have something to say, but they didn't this time, which may seem like a win when we first read the text. But if we continue to read, we see this is not what Jesus wanted from them. Verse 5a, when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. Once they got quiet, Jesus became angry at them. And you may be asking, why would Jesus get angry? He finally shut them up. After all this time, they have nothing else to say. But let's look at this moment through the context of a relationship. Imagine there's someone in your life that you care about. Lately, you've been trying to help them out of a sticky situation, but you haven't been seeing eye to eye on the particular matter. You've been communicating back and forth for a while, and haven't reached common ground yet, but you refuse to give up because this is someone that you love and you want what's best for them. As you're communicating, you notice that you're learning more about them and are also giving them the opportunity to learn more about you. Progress is slow, but still very much worth it. Then one day your loved one tells you that they're done. They no longer want to talk to you and they don't want to hear from you again. This would hurt, wouldn't it? This is what Jesus felt when the Pharisees chose to remain silent. You see, even though they couldn't stand him and what he was doing, as long as they were talking to him, they were learning from him. As long as they were learning from him, 
there was a chance that at least one of them would have a change of heart and begin to follow him. Jesus wanted to communicate with them. And it's the same way that God the Father wants to communicate with us. The Bible tells us in Thessalonians 5.17 to pray without ceasing. This is God telling us to communicate with him at all times, whether it's words of worship and thanks or words of frustration and anger. He just wants us to talk to him. I'm sure you've had situations with a friend or a loved one where you know something is wrong, but they refuse to tell you. They may say that they're fine, but their actions towards you are cold and short. You find out later on that they were upset with you for something you did and that you were totally unaware of it. So you approach them and ask, why couldn't you just tell me before? We could have dealt with it rather than putting a distance between us. This is what God wants from us, especially in the rough times. There are times when we don't like what God is doing or the answer to our prayer isn't exactly what we wanted. But do we communicate that with God? Do we tell him that we're upset with him and allow him to speak to us about it? Or do we go silent? Do we shut him out? If we talk to him about it, we can learn more about what he really wanted from us in that situation. We strengthen our relationship with him simply by communicating with him. Verse 5. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Jesus couldn't dwell in his anger for long. He couldn't focus on the ones that rejected him when there was one in front of him who was willing to believe. He tells the man to stretch out his hand. This miracle, just like many others, was successful because of the faith of the one afflicted. Remember, the man's hand is withered. Withered from the word serino, which means to make dry, dry up, wither, to become dry, to be withered of plants, of the ripening of crops, of fluids, of the members of the body, to waste away, pine away, for example, a withered hand. When I think of the word withered, I think of a leaf that has fallen to the ground. It's shriveled up and there is little to no more life in it. I imagine picking it up and trying to stretch it back to its original state or to manipulate it in any form. What would happen? The leaf would most likely break into little pieces and crumble to the ground. But Jesus has instructed this man to stretch out his withered hand. Now the man could have easily thought, well, if I could have done that all this time, I would have. Logical thinking would say that trying to stretch out his hand would actually cause him more damage. But we can tell by this time that the man had the faith to obey what Jesus was telling him to do, regardless of how it looked. And because of that, he stepped into new life and his hand was totally restored. This takes me to our third and final point, their schemes. Verses 6 and 7a. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. But Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. You know the phrase, choose your battles? That is exactly what Jesus did in this moment. He didn't concern himself with the cattiness of the Pharisees. He didn't stress over the fact that they left and plotted against him. What good would it have done for Jesus to engage in that? What good would it do any of us to engage in something that's beyond our control? 
if they choose to stop speaking to you, move along. If they decide instead to talk about you, move along. If they spread lies and false rumors about you, move along. Pray for them and keep it moving. If we choose to put all our energy into this one situation, only God knows what assignments we may be prolonging or even avoiding. Let's look again at how Jesus responded to what the Pharisees did in verse 7 8. But Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. He left. He did not engage. He kept it moving and continued with his mission. He knew that he did and said, all that he could and he left it alone. Do we know when it's time to leave things alone? Can we humble ourselves enough to stay quiet? Or do we have to have the last word? Can our character speak for us? And would our character prove the Pharisees in our lives right or wrong? I've had a situation where someone didn't like me and tried to badmouth me to anyone who had functioning ears. I had never been in a situation like that before, and I can admit that trying not to retaliate was extremely difficult. That along with the fact that I was doing a Bible study on loving your enemies. God certainly has a sense of humor, right? But yes, instead of clapping back or being petty or even approaching them with facts and proof, I remained quiet, cut necessary ties, and put boundaries in place between them and me. This was some time ago. And would you believe it if I told you that everyone that this person talked to about me is still my friend and has distanced themselves from that person? They couldn't damage me or my friendships because my character spoke and still speaks for me. Now back to Jesus. He left the Pharisees and got in a boat. And look what happened. Verses 7b and 8. And a great multitude from Galilee followed him and from Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and beyond the Jordan, and those from Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they heard how many things he was doing, came to him. He left, and plenty of people followed him, so much so that the term, a great multitude, is mentioned twice. If you read further, you'll see that Jesus told his disciples to have another boat ready for him so the crowd wouldn't crush him. That's a lot of people. Now notice that Jesus not once asked any of these people to come and follow him. They came on their own because of what they knew about him. I want to encourage us to stop putting our focus on people that choose to walk away from us and have faith that when we stick to our assignments, the right people will come to us. We won't have to chase or beg them. There are so many that we have yet to reach, so many lives that we have yet to touch and make a difference in but we can't get there unless we continue to move in spite of who may have something negative to say. Let's be like Jesus and ignore their schemes, knowing that God has already has it taken care of. Friends and family, let me encourage you to not shy away from doing the will of God just because it may seem like trouble from someone else's perspective. Yes, there are those who will plot and scheme against you. They will talk about you. They'll try to knock you off course but remain focused. Let's not lose heart if or when we seem to have reached a dead end with people. Remember, God continues to work even when we don't see what he's doing. Trust God. Trust that he'll continue the work. Trust that it's already done. Let's not park at what seems like a failure. 
keep it moving, continue your mission. So much more for you to do and more people for you to reach. They're waiting for you. Amen. Mm-hmm.